if you would remain standing and join me as we confess our sins together before we continue in worship. You'll find it in your bulletin. Together, if you would join me from the Book of Common Worship, it says this. O most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who pardons all such as truly repent and turn to you, we humbly confess our sins and implore your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart fervently, neither have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justly, nor loved mercy, nor walked humbly with you. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out our iniquity. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation, and upon us with your free spirit. Amen. And again, we find assurance of pardon throughout the we have it here from Isaiah in several places in Hebrews where we find the assurance, Almighty God who does freely pardon all who repent and turn to him, now fulfill in every contrite heart the promise of redeeming grace, remitting all our sins and cleansing us from an evil conscience through the perfect sacrifice of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's continue as we prepare our hearts as we sing together here, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.
You may be seated, and I hope that you brought your Bibles again along so that you can follow with us as we've been studying through Mark, and uh, what a blessing, a challenge at the same time about discipleship over and over again. And this morning, in a very practical way, Mark points us in a story that I feel is not so much about the disciples again as it is about Jesus. And if you're going to learn about discipleship as we go through it, one thing we must learn is that we also need to be demonstrating what it is we call discipling. If you call yourself a disciple and you're not doing anything, you're not serving, you're not following Christ and doing as he commands, then you don't have the right to call yourself a disciple. And this morning in Mark chapter 10, we begin to see the third time of the passion narrative of the suffering of Christ unfolded in more detail than ever before in Mark, but in a way that challenges us of what it means to be great. If I asked you this morning how many of you would love to know that you've obtained greatness in life, the hard part of it is we categorize greatness Sometimes we say you can be great within this world or you can be great within the kingdom. Well, let me ask you, which one's right? Or is greatness really defined by greatness? Is scripture true when it defines what greatness is or do we categorize it to say we can be biblically great and we can also be worldly great? It's it's almost as if though we call ourselves hypocrites in scripture, hypocrisy, when we use the word that is literally literally translated mini-masks, That's what it means to be a hypocrite. I'm working at being a great father, but I can take that mask off and be a great worker. I can take that off and be a great husband. I can take that off and be a great pastor. And as long as I find the realm in which I can be great, I can be considered in greatness. But Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, in a nutshell, let me talk to you about what true greatness really is in all categories of life according to the commands of Jesus Christ. If you're wanting to be great, listen to what Jesus responds and answers on his way to Jerusalem. We've made a turn in the Gospel of Mark, and we are on the way to Jerusalem. At this point in Mark, please understand, Jesus has been with them, walked with them, taught them, trained them, ministered to them, healed them, encouraged them, And today we take the turn in which he now turns and heads toward Jerusalem, the place where it's all going to happen. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 32. Now, when they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise from the dead. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, coming to Jesus, saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. 
I'm going to stop here for just a moment and give you a story. It's almost like your children when they come to you. I hope this has happened to you and I'm not the only gullible creature out there. And your children say, Dad, I want to ask you something, but will you say yes before I ask the question? You ever had that happen to you? Dad, there's something I want you to do. I'm going to ask you about it, but will you go ahead and say yes and then I'll tell you what it is? That's kind of what the disciples have done. Jesus, we're going to ask you to do something but we want you to affirm before we ask it. Here's what he says to them. He said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? They said to him, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you shall drink and you shall be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So hearing this, the other ten began to feel indignant with James and John calling them to himself. Jesus said, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles domineer over them and their people in their high positions exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Oh, there's a lot when it comes to being greatness that I want to take a moment, because I don't want you to focus on the disciples and whether James and John got a chance to be great, because that's not what the story's about. What the story is really about is seeking the true greatness and now being demonstrated by our Father or Jesus in the flesh, the Father in the flesh, what true greatness really means, what it really means to be faithful and to follow. And so this morning, I take you on a journey on how Jesus demonstrated how it is that we can be on the way to greatness. Let me take you on the journey, write them down, follow along if you want. But it begins in the very first part where Jesus himself demonstrates the greatness in three different ways this morning. First of all, he leads the way to judgment willingly. Listen to what the text says when it says they're on the road to Jerusalem, and we all know where that's headed. They have just made the turn. They are now heading to the crucifixion. They're headed to the place that Jesus has three different times and now specifically explained to him that he is going to die. And listen to what he says. Jesus walks on ahead of them. Kind of gives us the clue as to why it says in the text that some of them were amazed and some of them were afraid. Can you imagine what's actually going on into the minds of the disciples when for the third time he's described that your life is now going to be crucified and killed? We're on this journey in which we thought you would be king, crowned above all, and especially ruler of the Gentile world would be handed into the hands of who? The Gentiles. Talk about a slap in the face. They've been waiting for a Messiah to come that would deliver them from the Gentiles. And now they're going to be delivering the Messiah over to the Gentiles. 
And yet Jesus demonstrates greatness. In not saying, guys, it's going to get tough from here on out. I need you to take the steps ahead of me. It's going to be more persecution. There's going to be a lot of stones thrown. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to be spitting at me. And I want you to protect me. I want you to guard me so that I can stay safe along the way. That's not what he did. The Bible makes it clear, especially in its original writings, that Jesus willingly took the lead to demonstrate that what he was about to face, he would take it and he would take it first. The scary part is the disciples' lives were enmeshed in his. And whatever was going to happen to him was also going to happen to who? To them. So the big question becomes, and leading to greatness, is that are you too as a disciple behind Jesus on the way to the persecution that you face? We live in a world today just like it was with Jesus and his disciples in which persecution is going to come if you call yourself a disciple. To walk behind Jesus Christ and to obey him and his word and to do what he commands is going to bring about persecution. And are you willing to face it first? Are you willing to be the one that walks in front of those that you're training to be Christian? Have you lived your Christian life in a solitude, surrounded by seminary professors, pastors, Sunday school teachers? How many of you have lived your Christian life surrounded by nothing but Christians? How many of you have ran, you don't have to raise your hand, into non-Christians this past week and had a chance to share your faith? You know, if statistics are true, eight out of 10 Christians will never fully develop the gospel presentation to another person. Is it because we're afraid? Or is it we want someone else to take the hit? Just where are we? Jesus demonstrates that he leads the way. He's not going to let them go through their phobi esti, if you wish, the fears that they're facing, or to the astonishment, the thambine that he gives us throughout the scriptures, the same word that is used. He's going to take that hit. He's going to run with them. It's not a setback for him. This is not a setback for Jesus. This is not a defeat, a victory for the enemies. True greatness is taking God's will head on and knowing that what he's planned for you is what's best, regardless of what comes. This morning I ask you, are you praying for what it is you're about to face? Give me the strength, Lord, to take it first, to follow faithfully, to not drag my feet like some of the others. Or to not beg that I be given greatness and handed to me without following in faithfulness. The way to greatness is being there with the shepherd of the sheep. The one who gives us purpose. The one who gives us direction. The one who gives us the comfort in the times in which we face these trials. On the way to suffering and shame, Jesus leads the way willingly. As the captain of our salvation, he knows what's going to happen. Some of the liberal writers, as you know, you can go back and study this, says there has to be something wrong with the text. It was probably written in hindsight that Mark probably went back after the events to write all this in there because how could anybody really know exactly what was going to happen? You want me to give you the answer how he knows? It's not because he's God. That would be the easy answer. You know why? All he had to do was read Isaiah 
All he had to do was read the prophets. All he had to do was read the text. Because what we're hearing about is the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecies of the suffering servant of the one who was to come about. And he's the Messiah. He's the one that was sent by God. He could go back and show them in the text, this is what's going to happen to me. This is what I'm facing. This is not a, a miracle revelation. This is the truth being revealed. The time has come. I left the portals of heaven to be here on earth so that I could be a servant to you. And now's the day. And he leads the way. Not only is he leading the way to this judgment willingly, but he's drinking the cup and being baptized obediently. There's no deterrent. We know how the story unfolds. If you were to look at it theologically, you could talk about his active obedience and his passive obedience. We could describe it in many different ways. We've been looking at his active obedience most of the journey of Mark in, when, in which Jesus is constantly and obediently following the will of God, knowing that what he's about to face will not always be easy, but to never be deterred. He didn't just go willingly. He went obediently. I remember I've told you many times in the sport realms, that's most of my background. I wish there was more to it. But I remember a coach saying one time, what benefit is there if you win and you didn't play by the rules? Anybody can win when you cheat. I learned that when I was playing cards with the schwastics one night. <laughs> oh, Ted will verify who the cheaters in that family are. Anybody can win if you don't play by the rules. Being a Christian is easy if you don't do it obediently. Being a Christian is easy if it's not willing. Guys, I say this gently to some of our women, and I know you've been to conferences. I didn't just say this because you came back and left me for several days by myself. And <laughs> but women, there has to be the truth. I remember one of the most piercing comments one of the ladies said to me in mission training is I said, Jerry, if submission isn't willing, it's not submission. It begins in the heart, obediently. Women, I encourage you, as you go through life, you're going to be challenged on the road to judgment because if you put your family first, you're not going to have as many things. You're not going to be seen in the eyes of the world as being successful and your career may not take the turns that you want it to and your children aren't going to have to put up with all the things and maybe if you would just leave them for a while, you could go on and hand them to someone else and you can even look at studies now that have been placed. My daughter even read to me one time that said, Dad, look, it says here that children actually put in daycares are doing better than they thought. It was her way of trying to justify that maybe it's okay if I have a full-time career and someone else is with my children. Not everybody's called to be a home mom. Please don't hear that. But women, even in the workplace, in the home place, in the church place, be obedient. Men, you too, I'll criticize you in a moment. Give me time. But in the active obedience of Christ, we watch his obedience. We watch what he is doing. He's fulfilling, not just by saying, I'll take one of the courses. That's not what he's doing. He's fulfilling the role that he was given by God. Are you? Are you just picking a course in life because that's what everybody likes? That's what makes you feel good? That's what's entertaining. That's where everybody's headed. Just choose the course that everybody's on. Or are you fulfilling the role that he's chosen for you? 
That's obediently following Jesus Christ. His act of obedience is what led him to the cross. It's what let him take the lead. It's what let him be patient in his kindness as he worked with his disciples. But it was also passive obedience. Drinking the cup and being baptized terms, folks, that mean just that. The judgment of God many times throughout the Old Testament. And drinking the cup was taking the judgment of God. If you remember in the garden of Gethsemane, he simply said, Lord, if there be any other way, let this what? Cup pass from me. But not my will, what? Thine be done. To obediently face the judgment that was coming, which we will now never face. I know the story unfolds and it sounds good because the disciples in their confidence, as always, yes, we can drink the cup. Yes, we can be baptized. To be immersed, to be submersed, to be sprinkled, to be covered, whatever term you use throughout the text, it's about being immersed in the judgment that's coming from God. The trials that you'll take to be baptized, to be identified with Christ, the disciples will do that. But listen to the difference. When Jesus drinks the cup, we'll learn he takes the judgment of God from us so that when we drink the cup, it's just the refining of the Holy Spirit to make us right. We never drink the cup that Jesus drinks. And we never have to be baptized with what he was baptized in. Oh, to understand that is to understand the escape goat on the day of atonement. When the blood was sprinkled and then placed on the goat, and they placed their hands as representative, and they sent that goat out into the wilderness. Now catch this, outside the presence of God. In his passive obedience, what will happen to Jesus is they will hand him over to those outside the presence of God. And rather than ruling over them in the minds of the Jews, they themselves will hand him over to be crucified. To obediently fulfill the role God has for him. Are you following Christ? Are you obediently fulfilling the role God has for you? Too easy to be distracted if you're not. Because not only did he come to lead the way willingly or to drink the cup obediently if you wish, but he also came to be ransomed for the many faithfully. In giving and drinking of that cup, he came, and here's the whole quarter of the story when he says to them, if you want to be great, you've got to be the servant of all. And to do that, you've got to be the slave. He uses two terms that you know, diakonos and doulos. He uses the two words that many of us are familiar with because when Jesus left, he came not to portray a leadership of the local kings in which they ruled over their people, punished them, used them as puppets, he said, this is not to be among you. This is not how Christians live. We don't have a domineering leadership. We don't have a punishing type of superiority. Even in the PCA, all of our decisions start from the bottom up, where the people in the churches can lead forth on things. 
But for so many of us, we only see ourselves in greatness if we're over everybody else. Jesus came to serve, which changed the whole concept of rank and greatness. He came to be the one not to exercise authority as it would in scripture, katakuriason, it's the word, it's according to the lordship of others, but to gain, if you wish, these people that were mastery over others, he was here to gain the approval of the Father, to simply do what he was asked obediently. So he gives us the word diaconis, you must be the servant. That's why he says it's not this way among you. You're not to dominate. You can imagine what James and John were thinking when they just asked to be handed the greatness in the kingdom of God. As if they weren't going to do anything, but you know what? We're such good guys. Would you just hand us over to the greatness and listen to what they say? We want to be on your right and on your left in whose glory? Yet they're in his glory and they want the what? The glory. Isn't that a sneaky way that the devil has a way of getting in our hearts? Let's put somebody in authority so that we can actually be there with them. To be the servant the messianic servant, to become the guilt offering that he is there to be, the service in which God asks him, and to pay the price. Listen to what he says. I will give my life a ransom for the many. Father, if there be any other way, not my will but thine. I will drink the cup. I will be baptized. And I will go to the cross. For there is no glory if there is no cross. And yet as he gave himself, I bring the challenge to you this morning in this passage of scripture that simply says this. In 1 John and, and in John 3, it says this. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that what? Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life. 1 John 3.16, I've given it to you before, says, and as he laid down his life for us, so we ought to what? Lay down our lives for the others. True discipleship, to be a follower of the one who has led the way, to the one who was not distracted, who was not deterred, who was not on a detour at all. Is that where we are this morning? That as he gave, we too can demonstrate the greatness by understanding what it means to serve. Parents, do you serve your children or do you lordship your parenthood over them? True greatness is in servanthood. How do we serve our children and lead the way so that when they learn, they learn by watching, not by being told? We've all grown up under the do as I say, not as I what. And so many kids in homes today are learning to live even without that. Parents, it's a privilege when you serve your children who've come back home because they still need a guide, they still need a picture. They still need someone to lead the way. I haven't yet found in Scripture the age you put on it when we finally say to our children, I can no longer be an example for you. I can no longer lead the way through persecution. I can no longer help you through your struggles. 
Are we true disciples? Husbands, I said I would pick on you. Do we serve our wives? Don't look at me. Every one of you has just stared me down. No. I have to humbly tell you, I've learned in the last several months, to be honest with you, many, many things in my own life, in my own patterns. I've had to learn to adjust to things and to do things and to realize that most of the problems come when I realize that things aren't the way they are because I've tried to be more of a lordship person. I've tried to be more of the dictator type person. I've tried to be more of the headship type person in a way that doesn't bring about servanthood leadership, that doesn't bring about opportunity to demonstrate. The frustration can be placed on no one but us men I'll use Paul's word when he said the wives were the weaker vessels. That didn't mean incapability. It meant they were given to us that we might serve them. That we might help them be what God's called them to be. I just ask you, are you fulfilling the role God has for you? Wives, you ought to be able to turn to your husband and say, husband, I need more help being what God has for me. Oh, it's not just about the husbands and the wives' relationships and how it goes. It goes farther and farther than that. If you're an employer here this morning, do you serve your workers? Or do they only serve you? Deacons, your servants, it's the word for diakonos. You're the one that's supposed to be serving. I look at every deacon in the church. We just nominated you men to be servants, to reach out and to be ministers to those who are in the church. It's not just to feed those outside the church. I'm glad we do. It's not just to put roofs over those who don't have them outside the church. I'm glad we do. It's not the focus of deacons to just be focused outside in a worldly atmosphere. Do you know where deacons were called to serve? In the church to be servants of the people of God, the children of God, to make sure we're not neglected, to make sure we're not being hurt. Let me ask you a question, congregation. How many of you, don't raise your hands, have heard from your deacon in the last year? How many of you got a call from the deacon that said, you know what, this past week we prayed for you. We just wanted you to know that we're here to serve you. Whatever your needs, we're here to help you. Oh, it's not just the diakonos, it's the doulos. And I believe that applies even more so to the elders. Elders, you can't ask deacons to do what you can't do or you're not willing to do. Congregation, I ask you again, how many of you have heard from your elder? Just that phone call that simply says, hey, I want you to know I was praying for you. Just want you to know if there's anything that you need, I'm here to help you. I'm here to lead the way. I'm here to serve. Oh, it doesn't stop there. They always say when you're pointing at people, there's three other fingers, what? All right, pastor. How many of you have heard from your pastor? How many of you think he's praying for you? Willing to lead the way. Willing to be the servant. It's amazing when we begin to realize what it means to be great. Oh, God only knows who it is that's going to be on the right and the left. He's prepared it beforehand. 
As we learned about election, I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be one of those childlike creatures, or maybe it's going to be the woman from the well. It might even be James or John, or believe it or not, Peter could be one that's put there. I don't know about you, but I do know who one of the one on one side is going to be. At least I hope. I don't know about you, but I would want to know that as a pastor, I would do anything I could to help you. I would cut down your trees, drag your bushes, put on your shingles, take you to the doctor, pray beside your bed, help carry your casket. Oh, I would mow your yard for you. I would take care of your dogs. I've watched your children. Oh, I would do just about anything I could. Jesus led the way. He drank the cup. He gave his life. And we should do the same. I don't know about you, but when you ask yourself, Lord, am I doing what you've called me to do? Several times in my life, God has called me on my heart, placed things before me, moved my family from place to place. Sometimes I find myself on my knees saying, Lord, why me? What do I have for Maryland? You want me to take theology to Maryland? They already have it. You want me to take the Holy Spirit relationships? Already been there. You want me to train the people and give them gifts? Trust me, they already have them. You want me to help them be qualified to do the, the ministries they need to do? Man, they're doing it on their own. Lord, I don't understand. I don't have anything you need. Lord, why send me? And there's so many times I've heard in different places. It's the simple answer when Jesus said, I just want you to go and serve my people. Just go serve my people. You want to be the greatest? You also can demonstrate the same greatness. You can lead the way through suffering willingly. Take the hits. Stand up for the truth, for the word of God. Be proud of what he's faced for you. You can drink the cup. You can be baptized. Not in the judgment of God. You could never take care of your own sins. Jesus did that. But you can be immersed. You can be completely drinking the cup of the refinement that comes along and following him. And you can do it obediently. Oh, you can't pay the price for sin. But you could sure pay the price of being a living sacrifice to everybody that's in need. Oh, he came to give his life a ransom for the many. And we ought to give our lives as a sacrifice to all. You want to be great? 
Just serve the Lord. Serve his children and become one of the greatest of all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have instruction, direction, and compassion revealed to us. Lord, I pray here this morning that all of us will realize the importance of servanthood. Lord, I pray that we would find it in our lives to be able to lead wherever it is you've called us, whatever it is we're to do, however it is to be accomplished, that we would do it willingly. I ask that as we face the circumstances in this world where we're persecuted for taking a stand on the truth of your word, that we would do it obediently. And Lord, I also pray that when we have to give ourselves as a sacrifice, we would do it faithfully. We want to be like you, the captain of our salvation. It's in your name I pray. Amen. As the choir comes, if you'll stand and turn with me to hymn number 179 as we sing together, Hallelujah, thine the glory. Receive now the benediction. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.